Hello and welcome to the Journalism.co.uk podcast, a show where we bring you insights from media industry experts to help journalists do their jobs better. I'm your host, Jacob Granger. Today, we're going to learn about not losing sight of your mission as a news organisation as you grow and expand your horizons. Two years ago, a UK publication called Noon was launched, catering for women in their midlife, or as it has been dubbed, the home of the Queenager. At that point, it was simply an editorial website with an advisory board publishing inspirational stories. But the core purpose was there, show women all the amazing possibilities that can happen in the second half of their lives. The operation has evolved a lot in a short space of time with a small team. We're speaking to the founder Eleanor Mills about how a deep understanding of her readers, plus two decades of experience in the news business, has helped shape products and services like a jobs board, directory and a book club. Coming up are tips on being picky with partners, using data to inform business decisions and getting the right help along the way. Don't go anywhere. Eleanor, welcome to the journalism.co.uk podcast. Thank you ever so much for coming on to the show. Thanks for having me. Nice to see you again. Nice to see you again. Um, I understand a little known fact about you, Eleanor, is that you're a swimming enthusiast. Tell us more. <laughs> yes, every every day of the year, come rain or shine, I swim at noon um, in the ladies' pond on Hampstead Heath um, in ice in sun, in rain, with snakes, sometimes with ducks. Um, and I think that that's really what keeps me sane. Why? Why? Because <laughs> um, I think when you're in the pond for that bit of time, you can't be thinking about anything else. You just have to be in the now. Uh, and I think that when you're an entrepreneur, it's very easy to be worrying about, you know, what has happened, what might happen, what you did wrong, you know, what you might do right, what's going on. And so it's very important for me to have that kind of half an hour of completely clear presentness um, in nature every day. Um, and that keeps me energised for what I'm trying to do. That, that's a new type of uh, downtime that I've never heard of before. <laughs> but it but it works for you. That helps you organise your thoughts. That helps you to just have a bit of you time to, uh, I guess, press the reset button. Because you're obviously doing a lot at the moment with Noon. It's a real reboot. And I find if I do that, then I can keep going. I think that um, I'm 52. As you get a bit older, you have to kind of build in a bit of regeneration time and actually a bit of thinking time and what's really lovely for me about no longer being a big news um executive is having time being it feels like a bit of self a bit of a treat every day to down tools and be able to kind of go and do that and sometimes I even do meetings in the pond and I meetings in the pond what zoom calls on the pond not zoom calls but face to face or swim swim to swim breaststroke to breaststroke and how long have you been doing this for uh, two years, pretty well, pr- pretty well, um, as long as I've been doing noon. <laughs> and you said you do it at noon every day, intentional, I suppose. Yes, noon.org.uk, at noon in the pond. Make that connection for me, because obviously the uh, media platform that you've created over the last two years is also called Noon. Is there a backstory there that I'm missing? Well, in the 100-year life, 50 is halfway through. So that is like noon in the day of our lives. So I think it's quite nice to feel that at 50, you're, you know, you're just kind of sitting down to rather a nice long boozy lunch. So I think that it's quite a good immediate rebrand reset of what I'm trying to do. Because everything I'm trying to talk about is to create a new story about the second half of particularly women's lives to uh, recast that in something much more positive and fit for purpose and which reflects the lives of the incredible women that I see around me. 
You know what else I noticed about the word noon, Eleanor, is that it's a palindrome. It's perfectly symmetrical. It's spelt the same backwards. So exactly at the halfway point, you know, you've still got the other half of symmetry to come. Yep. I really like that. And it's kind of, it looks great on a logo as well, which is, you know, I'm a, I'm in a, I'm a former magazine editor, so I like, I, I like my uh, graphic design. Take us back two years to when you launched Noon. What was the origin story for it? Well, I left the Sunday Times and I um, was a bit lost. Um, I felt a bit like I died in some kind of strange way because my identity had been so tied up with the newspaper and being an executive and there for nearly 25 years. Um, And when I went into that paper, I had no children. I wasn't married. I came out, you know, at 52. I was a mum of two older children. I was really institutionalised. Um, and I've had to really massively reinvent. And when I tried to look around for what I might do next, I couldn't find anything out there which pointed the way, um, which would be, I talk about the white pebbles that guided Hansel and Gretel out of the wood. (laughs) And I couldn't find anything which said, okay, you know, you're 50, you've still got half of your life to come, but a chunk of it is now over what are you going to do next? And I've been a columnist for such a long time that I kind of knew that things that affected me tended to be also affecting other people out there in the culture. And what I discovered, we did a big piece of research um, with Noon, with Accenture, the management consultants, and we found that over half of all women of 50 have been through five huge life events. And often in what we call the midlife maelstrom, they all happen kind of together. So divorce, bereavement, redundancy, um, say teenagers failing to thrive, your elderly parents coming to bits, some health problems of your own, a little bit of menopause, but I think that's very overblown. Um, But just that you get this kind of maelstrom of factors which all hit between about 45 and 50. And I don't really know anyone who emerges from that unscathed, you know. And actually there's this whole new bit, which I think of like a kind of second adolescence between about 50 and 75, where... I talk about that's when you become the woman you were always supposed to be. Um, and we're beginning to get little bits of that in the culture. So you saw Michelle Yeoh at the Oscars saying, don't let anybody say you're, you know, you're past your prime. Um, and we're beginning to see, I think, a renaissance of what older women can do. And there's a sense, I talk about queen ages, because I think that that's a good rebrand of um, things being possible. And what I see in my noon community and in the women that I talk to all the time is this real excitement about this second kind of adolescence, this second chunk of life. And so many of them going back to find their original dream, whatever that was, you know, to, yeah. and to go back to being the thing that they always wanted to be, but maybe life or raising kids and all those kind of things got in the way of. Perfect. What I love about that is the genesis of that has started with your own personal experience. You've then gone and mm-hmm. grounded that in actual research and data, and then you've provided a rather optimistic solution for other people who you know are going to be facing this collection of stresses in their life. Um, is that about a fair summary? Yeah, I think that's an excellent summary. And what I've really found interesting is that this idea of extending the runway, you know, talking about queen ages, saying we come into our prime in midlife, is really resonant with younger women. And there are so many, I've spoken at so many things recently to younger women, like women in their 30s, and they go, 
oh gosh, hearing you say that, you know, you can set up a business, you can do all this stuff in your 50s, or I was talking to Anne Cairns, um, former head of MasterCard, who's just been behind a huge flotation in the city at 67, that, that, that there's a sense that the runway for all women is extended, that we don't have a sell by date, you don't have to pack everything in in your 30s, you know, having kids, getting up the career ladder, seeing women doing fantastic things in their 50s, 60s, 70s, makes everyone kind of calm down a bit and think, oh, you know, we've got some time. And and I think that that in, a, in the kind of rushed pace of life that we all live in, I think that's really, really important. Not only that, but I love how that flips the narrative away from women always being told they're on a clock to do things. Oh. Right? Actually, you've got time on your hands to enjoy this next chapter of your life, I suppose. Yeah, absolutely. And also, I think by the time you get to 50, and we really see that in, research, in our research as well, that you you know yourself quite well. You know what you need. You know what you know. Um, you have huge amounts of experience, um, you know, hard won, both emotional and kind of practical and professional. Uh, and I'm seeing lots of women really um, drawing on all those elements and harvesting all the things that they've sown in the earlier bits of their lives to really move into something that they love at this point. And I think that's such an important narrative in our society because we're so often sold this ridiculous kind of women are like peaches, one wrinkle and they're done, yeah. you know, um, or like when men are, men are like age like fine wine, you know, and all that silver fox nonsense. So I think it's really important to put out there a very different kind of story about what's possible for women at this point. And what I found is that the more I lean into that story, the more I talk about the inspirational stories that I see and the kind of positivity of that, the more that resonates Amazing. with my women. You talk there about the traction that you've had so far over the last two years. Tell us about the the business model as a whole at noon and your member base that you've managed to create? Um, we just, we started off with an idea and this real passion for this moment and for this change. And as an editor, I've always, I think I've always been quite good at reading the zeitgeist, otherwise I wouldn't have survived. Um, I did 23 years as a really top features executive. And that is about being able to read where things are going. Um, and so this time I've kind of read that to create my own business from my own kind of instinct. What's at the heart of the Noon business model is community. So we started off on Noon um, with a website, this platform. We call it the home of the Queen Ager. Um, and that is full of inspirational stories about what's possible for women at this point. So that, that was the starting point is the power of the story. Um, and then what I've done is I now write a weekly newsletter on Substack, which is called the Queen Ager. Um, and that has now um, got over 10,000 subscribers and hundreds and hundreds of paying subscribers too. So we've made some proper money um, out of the newsletter. And also it's allowed us to really see what the women most want to hear about. So there's been a lot in the culture, a big drumbeat about getting the over 50s back to work. And we could see that a lot of our women wanted... Um, to get back into work and were being knocked out by the algorithm, you know, before you get anywhere, before they've even looked at your CV. So we've created a jobs board uh, with a company called 55 Redefined, who do work with recruiters, which um, actively creates a different algorithm so that our women can actually apply for jobs more successfully. So that's been really successful. And we make some money out of that. 
Um, and we also run events and retreats and holidays and uh, courses for our queen ages. Um, and we make some money out of that. So that's the kind of consumer facing bit of the business. And then we have a whole consultancy part of the business, which is talking about a how brands can connect with queen ages because uh my my women 45 to 65 say they outspend millennials by 250 percent they're behind 90 percent of all household consumer spending decisions um and they are about the most underserved cohort in the whole of the marketing space cheryl sandberg said that to me when i went and interviewed her um and so there's a huge opportunity there for brands to unlock this queen age of spend. And then the research that we did with Accenture, we found that 63% of university educated queen ages would be way more likely to buy from a brand that represented them authentically. So we are beginning to use that insight and that kind of editorial intelligence, if you like, to help brands talk to the women more effectively. And in fact, we just won a big prize. We won the Silver Marketing Award for the best digital campaign of um, 2023 for the work that we did with Vision Express, which was called See Yourself Differently in Midlife. A new lens, haha, <laughs> once a headline writer. So we do that bit of connecting brands with queen ages. And then we also do another bit of consultancy, which is about going into companies and talking to them about how they retain right. queen ages. Because our research shows that actually queen ages are like the canary in the coal mine for broader diversity or inclusivity and culture within companies. That if they're managing to hang on to older women, then they're probably also setting their sales fair for retaining clever millennials you know like you or gen z because what the queen ages want which is autonomy flexibility um to be doing purposeful work to be trusted to be well managed is actually exactly what those younger generations want to you can start to see how eleanor is joining the dots between personal experience and research projects Noon has a solid understanding of what its readers need and what types of products and services will meet those needs. It's been critical along the way not to lose sight of the core purpose here, to change the narrative around women and show them the possibilities that they have at this stage of life. That has led to products that speak to those needs. Jobs boards for women who are being dismissed by HR algorithms, commercial partnerships to promote genuinely useful brands, or a membership which, for £50 a year or £6 a month, offers access to a book club, networking events and discounts on retreats and tours, and we'll hear more about those in just a sec. The bottom line here is that having these diverse revenue streams matters because there simply isn't enough cash in a click-based digital publishing model. The reality we soon found was that unless you are Facebook, Google, you know, Amazon, you're not going to make any money out of digital publishing. And we've seen that now with the fate of lots of different news sites that just that that pure kind of clicks model, I just don't think works anymore. Um, and then we thought we might create some kind of big ticket partnerships, um, you know, with some brands around particular subjects. But it was still an idea and we didn't have the audience um, that proved quite difficult to do. Um, and so we basically kept our costs very, very low. We had a small team and we um, really kind of 
you know, cut our coat according to our cloth. And we leaned into the stories and working out what we could make money on, which actually really from quite early on was the consultancy and doing this research. And we've used that revenue to fund kind of what we do and then we tried loads of things you know we chucked a lot of spaghetti at the wall and what I love about running my own business compared to being an executive within a huge corporation is that you can try things you know and you can try something and if it doesn't work you go oh well that was a disaster and we we won't do that again um and but some things that you try really work so this whole jobs board stuff's been really good we do the queen ager directory which is a list of brands who are actually doing things specifically for queen ages um we do the other thing that's been really successful is we do one day retreats um in the most beautiful um estate in berkshire um and the women come kind of for the day that's worked really well and we've really been creating community um but i think the real game changer has been the Substack because it allows you to monetize the community that you're creating and also it brings people together. So paid subscribers to my Queen Age of Substack can come to a monthly in-person meeting, which I hold um, in a space in Soho. And they all come and we drink wine and everyone chats. And we have members of the advisory board who come along and talk about particular subjects. This is interesting because how aware have you been that you've needed to surround yourself with the right people? I mean, this was a mission that you ignited but I imagine that came with a lot of unfamiliar territory as well. And so I just wonder about what help did you think you needed from the very beginning? How did you think about hiring and enlisting the right help along the way to help you get to this position? Yeah, it's a great question, Jacob. Um, It's really hard when you set off as an entrepreneur, um, particularly when you've been a big executive in a company. I actually realised that I was basically pretty useless, you know, when I left the Sunday Times. I was kind of a bit like I I was one of those people when I said all I had to do was say something and, you know, it would be done. There were all these people who were kind of there to kind of take my orders. So when I then had to start running my own thing, I realised I couldn't just say, right, we need an amazing video about this or we need a piece about that. I had to get on the phone, commission it, create it, put it up on the website and find a picture, you know. And I also realised that my tech skills were a bit rusty because I had a huge team of people who were doing all that stuff for me when I was at the Sunday Times so I remember the first time I ever had to do an Instagram live sitting on my stairs in my house in floods of tears go I just don't know how to do this and my um, 17 year old having to come down and go mom you know don't be an idiot this is how you do it you know you hit the thing it's not rocket science but when you haven't done it it's really tricky but so one of the journeys for me has been getting really technical and kind of stopping being like a kind of infantilized baby and actually really getting back in and learning how to do stuff. So I can now link to StreamYard with a conversation and um, broadcast it to my LinkedIn live. You know, I can do an Instagram live. I can put up a post. I can build an article on the noon website. I can run a Zoom meeting for 100 people for our book club. You know, so all those things, I think when you become an entrepreneur, you have to get your hands dirty and be prepared to look at a few YouTube videos, <laughs> you know, really go back to basics and and skill yourself up again. And that's one of the things that I really say to a lot of the women, because they can be quite scared of the tech. You know, if you've been out of the workforce for, say, 10 years, you maybe don't know how to use a Google document or a Google spreadsheet and stuff. And you just have to be able to do that now if you're going to survive in this world. So in terms of getting new people in, um, 
I think you have to be it's it's really difficult when you hire people particularly in a small business you've got to really like them yeah because there's, there's not much breathing room right no there's not much breathing room and we all work remotely but we all get together um you know a kind of occasionally um and we really you also have to respect them and I think particularly if you're the founder I'm very open with my people about going I welcome criticism and I really mean it. You know, I go, look, if you think that something that I'm a decision that I've made barking mad, then please tell me. And Diane is very good at going, hmm, I can see that might work commercially, but the Queen Edges aren't going to like it. Yeah. She's the kind of custodian of, you know, what, what the community kind of um, really wants. I kind of see her as the real voice of the Queen Ager. Yeah. And Ali and I are kind of often out kind of hustling. You, you can't put a price on a good gut check, can you? I mean, it's so important. It's so important. And I think it's really, it's difficult when you're running a business though, because sometimes, and this is what I've really learned, I think over the last two years, is sometimes there's a commercial opportunity, but it may not be in line with your values. Can you give me an example? Well, I mean, vaguely kind of stuff around, say, kind of beauty or, you know, particularly kind of, you know, what they call tweakments or plastic surgery, which you can imagine for older women, there's a hell of a lot of people out there who are trying to sell, particularly more solvent women like mine, that kind of service. And everything, I think it's a privilege to get older. Um, I don't think that we should be valuing ourselves on trying to stay young. I wrote about Madonna, say, and her weird face where she looked like a baby crossed with a kind of koi carp. Um, and I don't think, I don't see the Rolling Stones going on stage looking like puffed up babies. So why should women, you know, why shouldn't we own our wrinkles and our age kind of with pride? Too right, so, yeah. So, so that is a, that's a really interesting one where commercially, it would probably make a lot of sense to get into bed with quite a few beauty brands which who are flogging anti-aging products. Mm-hmm. But in terms of what I really th- believe, my real core belief about what I'm trying to do for the women, it's not it's not on brand. So we did flirt with that for a bit. And, and I was, um, I, I felt hugely relieved when we decided that really wasn't for us. Nice. That's a that's a brilliant example, Eleanor, as well, just on that on that divide between, you know, commercial opportunity, but potentially alienating or frustrating or you know um not appealing to your audience so that's a that's a brilliant example or or i think just kind of cutting across your core values you know what everything that i've tried to build at lean is that is really stuff that i believe in you know everything that i say about the kinds of things that have worked for me or the retreats or how you create transition or optimism or changing the story you can't really believe that and then say to somebody oh and here you can have a facelift for half price you know how detrimental do you think that would be if you crossed across that value well i don't think i could live with myself um, and I don't think and I don't think the women would like it. And what I notice is that the more authentic we are about what noon is, what we're trying to do, the more the, the more audience we get, the more we, the women like it, the more they believe in us. And actually, you can't mm. sell that trust out. You know, you can't you, if you do that, you, you're left with nothing. You, particularly, I think, on this kind of a community, right. um, you really have to mean it and they have to know that you mean it. That is at the essence of the brand. So I think anything which is coming from a real kind of purpose, a kind of heart-driven place, and I think that that's really crucial, particularly if you're an entrepreneur and you're trying to, you know, at 50, you're trying to kind of leave a legacy. Or for me, I really feel passionate about changing the story. 
you, you can't say that and then behave in a way which is contradictory to that. You just that's just rank hypocrisy. And then why should anyone believe anything you say? Precisely, because trust underpins your entire business model here, doesn't it? So yeah, it's interesting. I've been talking to a lot of other kind of entrepreneurs recently who are trying to grow their communities and asking me how we've done what we've done at noon. And what I say to them is, you have to lean into your truthiest truth. Yeah. And the more that you do that, the more your audience will respond. And as soon as you start selling them a cup or you're only saying something because a brand's paying you to do that is the minute you lose trust. And that's not to say you can't do some you know, commercial partnerships. You can, but they need to be very aligned with your values. I loved what we did with Vision Express because that was really trying to say to the women, you can feel differently about yourself at this point. So, And we did a whole thing with a big mushroom yeah. brand um, who are doing like... Um, you know, lion's mane, those kind of mushrooms, which really work and really make you feel kind of powerful. So I think you can definitely do commercial tie-ups, but you just have to be very clear that you really believe in them. Great message, brilliant examples. Let me come back to your spaghetti uh, analogy for a moment. Um, (laughs) What's an example of some spaghetti that didn't stick and landed on the kitchen floor? Well, okay, this is really interesting. So we did a course around um, queenager dating which we put out in January, um, that was really that was really popular. We made quite a lot of money out of running the course. And then we had another idea for a course, which is about getting queen ages ready for work, which was kind of leaning into, say, about, you know, your LinkedIn profile or, you know, some of the stuff I was saying about having to get your tech skills up to muster or whatever. Oh, so helping with, like, technophobes. And yeah, helping with technophobes or just kind of what you need, how you need to get yourself into that headspace. And I thought it was a no-brainer that women would pay for that. And we weren't even charging very much. It was about 50 quid or something. And we had Lisa Unwin, who's on our advisory board and runs a brilliant thing about getting lawyers back into professional jobs. You know, So she was absolutely the lady. And we didn't get a single person sign up. So, you know, who knew? That, for me, seemed like a much more likely one that people would pay for than their dating. But we had 15 women who paid quite a lot of money for the dating course and none of them wanted to invest in their, you know, re-teching up. Did you find out why? I think that there's a lot of stuff around which is free about how to get yourself those tech skills and get back to work. Um, and also maybe it just has less kind of emotional resonance. I think at the beginning of the year, over Christmas and stuff, a lot of people are thinking, right, I, what I really want is to find, you know, maybe a partner next year, and they were prepared to invest in that. What I'm saying is that as an entrepreneur, you can think that you've got an absolute slam dunk. You know, if, if you'd said to me before we did it, which one of these will make money, I would have said the work one, but I was totally wrong. So that's what I mean about you have to chuck the spaghetti at the wall. Interesting. And, you know, or um, retreats. We started off trying to think about doing longer, week-long retreats at quite a high price tag because by the time you've rented a venue and got some people in, you know, it's getting quite expensive. That was a hard sell. And also we found that the women maybe didn't want to take a whole week off or it was felt a bit intimidating. So actually these one-day retreats work really well. So it's that kind of thing. So it's just kind of tweaking the model and finding yeah. you know, where your sweet spot is. What, what did you do with those lessons? Did that impact any other decisions down the line? Well, I cancelled one of the longer retreats <laughs> and, I, um, and I, I powered up the number of uh, one day ones we've done. So we'll have done four one day retreats this year. Great. So it's, it's always useful to just reflect on those, um, you know, those moments where the spaghetti doesn't stick and... Um, well, you, then you change course. I mean, that, that fail fast is the great um, Silicon Valley motto on this, 
which is if you if you do something it doesn't work then don't keep doing it you know learn learn the lesson fail fast yeah fail fast and also what's good about being a kind of quite nimble small operation is you there's no kind of blame or guilt about that you know if you try something and it doesn't work we just go okay well we won't do that again and it's not like I mean at News UK you had to get honestly to get anything off the ground it would take you'd have to kind of do a whole presentation to about three different committees and it would have to be signed off and then you know six months later probably the idea that had been good back in June was looking a bit lame and then suddenly you'd, you'd miss the window you'd miss the window so there's also a great thing about being kind of quite nimble and yeah. also for us leaning into what we know are areas that, that of what we call pinch points for the Queenagers. So divorce, you know, bereavement, kind of what to do if you've been made redundant, how to get another job. Yeah. Around teenagers works quite well. And the other thing that's really important, I think, for the women is that nearly 30% of them don't have children. So I'm always really aware of that whenever we're speaking about things so that we, we make no assumption at noon that everybody is a mother. Because that's a third of your audience, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, And often, and if you look at the demographics on this, the more successful women are, the less likely they are to have had kids. So I've got a, a community of incredible, successful, professional kind of ABC one women. Um, and, you know, I've got kind of uh, barristers who are cases, several of those CEOs, um, partners in law firms. Um, they're a really high powered, interesting, clever bunch. So the conversations are always amazing that from all over the UK, um, it's global as well. About a third of our traffic is coming from America, Middle East, Australia, Spain. I mean, I, I'm slightly ashamed to say we've done no marketing at all. So everything that I've done on Built on Noon is entirely organic from content. So we have a 52% open rate on our newsletter. So so that's 10,000 on the newsletter and then on our social feeds. And I've had 1.2 million hits on LinkedIn in the last six months of my content that I put on there. So this is all about content that engages um, and we don't have like a numerically enormous audience, but we have a highly engaged, lucrative, intelligent audience. And we also have lots and lots of top people in the media reading it. Before we wrap up, I have to ask you about the book deal that's on the horizon, Eleanor. What can you tell us about that and how that really also doesn't lose sight of the core needs within your audience? Yeah, so the next kind of phase of expansion really is coming from my book. So I've, um, a big UK publisher has um, commissioned a Queenager book for me, which will come out um, summer next year. I've got to write 100,000 words by September. Eek. Good luck. Um, and it's basically everything that I've been talking about, but it's all those inspirational stories. Um, it's a bit of me, but it's kind of 50 secrets for living your best life after 50. What I feel like I'm trying to do at the moment at noon is get the sales set for this kind of wind of more people kind of coming through what we're doing so it's been really really hard if I'm honest trying to keep the business going and write the book and keep all the you know speaking and everything going which kind of brings in the money I've been pretty busy um but hopefully it'll all be worth it and I feel really excited about the book it's going to be really fun good luck with the book final question from me are you still in the news business or are you in a different kind of business now self-help personal development what do you think well, my editor, I'm not allowed to say the name of the publisher because I haven't announced the book yet. My editor there talks about something called self-moir, 
It's a mixture of self-help and memoir. That's a nice portmanteau. I didn't know that one. Yeah, no, it's a new one on me as well. So self-memoir. And I think that in some ways, Noon is a bit of a self-memoir site because it's kind of built on my story, but then all these other people's stories as well. And it has a lot of expertise kind of in the mix as well. So... Um, in 2019, women over 40 started earning more money than women under 40 wow. for the first time ever. That's a hell of a stat. <laughs> a hell of a stat, 2019 census. I mean, I didn't know about it in 2019. No one was talking about it. But it's a really massive societal shift that women like me, you know, I joined the workforce in 1992 when I left university and I have worked all the way through, that's 30 years. And there are a lot of women like me out there. And yet society hasn't caught up with the fact that there's a different kind of woman hitting midlife and we're not going anywhere and we've still got a hell of a lot to give and we're quite noisy and quite opinionated and the kind of patriarchal culture may not like us very much, but we're actually a force. And, you know, listen to the Queen Ages roar. Here's hoping you get a little bit noisier then, Eleanor. I, I really enjoyed this conversation. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast to talk to me about this. Good luck with the book and um, all the best moving forward. Yeah, thanks so much, Jacob. I think the biggest lesson of today is informing editorial content and products with what your readers are going through. Noon is shaped by an experienced founder that has seen and done it all. But as we also heard today, even some of her best hunches didn't quite pan out. Research and data need to underpin strategy, as well as the mindset of failing fast and adapting quickly. But what did you take from today? I'd love to know. Find me on Twitter slash x at jp2journalism or email me on jacob at journalism.co.uk. You can check out all of our episodes on all your usual podcast platforms. That's SoundCloud, Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Just search and subscribe to the journalism.co.uk podcast. But that's all we have time for this week. I've been your host, Jacob Granger. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time.